uh, just a couple of months ago. And, you know, it's always amazing how many teddy bears we get when it's time for us to go down there in December and uh, different countries and just go into orphanages. You saw a special needs place that we were there. Uh, this time we actually also went into the jungle. So it was kind of fun getting onto a boat and going an hour into the jungle to find some very remote area that, you know, they weren't expecting anything. And, and you roll in there with all these huge teddy bears and those kids' eyes go so big. So thank you for being a part of that. A special shout out to Vicki Vaughn and the school. They um, are always, every year, providing hundreds and hundreds of stuffed animals. And so they help make these kind of things possible. In fact, you know, the trip that we're going on here in a couple of weeks, just their elementary school is providing 800. Seven to 800 stuffed animals that we're going to be able to take and help be part of the distribution. So thank you very much for doing that. I also want to just go on the record real quick um, with something, and then we're going to move to the book of Mark. And that's simply this. You know, Pastor Dan, he was just referring about um, pretty much everybody watching me grow up here, and it's true. I mean, um, got here from Australia when I was five, and from there on, it's been here. First, sitting underneath the ministry of my dad and mom, and now sitting underneath Pastor Dan and Becky. And you know, when I came back from being with Reinhard Bonnke, you know, it was a it was a big conversation sitting down with Dad and with Dan and with the staff and talking about the dream that was in our heart about doing crusade and compassion ministries in Latin America, and. It was, uh, it was a big step of faith at that point, and, and both Dad and Pastor Dan and the team was very supportive about, hey, let's begin to see how this goes, and if it gets some traction, then you can launch into it. Well, um, we're about to step into our 28th Crusade week, and uh, we've done many, many other speaking opportunities in Latin America and other crusade events beyond that, other compassion things like Bears on a Mission beyond that. And it really has taken um, flight. And a large reason for that is because, Bethesda, you guys have been so supportive in coming and praying and giving and just being a part of the entire ministry. But here's what I want to go on record for. Um, it was 2012 after the Honduras crusade uh, that was in the stadium with the president of the nation. And after that, I, I came into the office with Pastor Dan. I said, you know, Pastor, something with my wife. And I said, Pastor, something is happening. I feel like after 17 years of being a part of this staff, if I don't do this full time with every second that I have, every breath that I have, then we're going to miss a huge opportunity. And, and Pastor Dan, you were so gracious to me that day and to Elisa, just the way that you loved us and you cried with us and you prayed over us. And I just want to go on the record for saying not just thank you to Bethesda, but thank you to my dad and thank you to Pastor Dan and Becky for being so gracious and so supportive. Because of you, we're seeing so many souls and people touched for the kingdom of God. Thank you very much. Now, we're getting close to Holy Week, and it's only a couple of weeks away. And so I thought, you know, it would be appropriate maybe this morning for us to begin moving in that direction. And so with that in mind, would you open up your Bibles or your iPhones or whatever it is that you're going to be reading the Word of God out of uh, to Mark chapter 14. It should also be on the screen. And we're going to read verse 32 through 42. And what we're going to read here is about some of the things taking place in the garden. I want to get us introduced and then we're going to pray and then we're going to jump in with both feet. Mark 14, verse 32. Here we go. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. 
Stay here and watch. He went on a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible that this hour might pass from him. He said these words, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and, and spoke the same words. Then he returned and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came to them a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Just a couple of hours before this unfolds, they're in an upper room, and they're celebrating. They're not having the, they're celebrating the Passover. They're not eating the Seder meal, but they're eating the preparation meal. The Seder meal would come tonight that he dies. But during that meal, Jesus has a number of statements that would have caught their attention. Number one would have been this. Drink this. This is the blood of my covenant. He would also said this, one of you is my betrayer. And then he also said this, tonight all of you are going to forsake me. The disciples want to know who it is who's going to betray the Lord. And it's thought that Peter is leaning upon John who is leaning upon Jesus while they're eating at this banquet. Because it's Peter who asks John, says, John, ask him, who is it who's going to betray him? And Jesus gives them the answer. It's the one who I'm going to take the bread and I'm going to dip it and they're going to eat it. And that was Judas. And so the answer was very clear. Jesus then gives a blessing. They sing a hymn. And then they head for the garden. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray for your flaming arrows to come from heaven and to pierce our heart. Lord, we, know, we already know what the word is about. It's a living and it's active. We know it's sharper than a two-edged sword. We know that it pierces even to the division between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. We know that, Lord, it searches out the intents of the heart. And tonight, Jesus, we ask you that you see everything. You see everyone. And we ask as you look upon us, Father God, that you would see hearts that are wide open to your word and wide open to your spirit. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you here this morning that you would come as the anointer, you would come as the anointing, and you would draw all our eyes to Jesus. We thank you this morning for your authority. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your purpose. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. The disciples are very much aware that something's going on. The disciples are very much aware that something is up. Only a week earlier, Thomas, one of the disciples, had said this. Hey, let's go to Jerusalem so that we might die with him. Now they were in Jerusalem. Earlier that night, Jesus had said, one of you is going to betray me. 
Now Judas was gone. And on top of all of that, the disciples clearly would have seen this heaviness, this weight, this pressure that was resting on Jesus as they're moving towards the garden. They reach the garden. And in the garden, something happens. He takes the majority of the disciples and he just, he puts them right there. But he takes Peter and James and John and says, let's go a little further into the garden. And so they go deeper into the garden. And there in the garden, he tells Peter, James, and John, I want you to sit here and watch while I go a little further and pray. And so that's what happens. Well, Jesus is praying. When he comes back the first time, what does he find? He finds Peter, James, and John, they're fast asleep. And Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, why are you sleeping? He didn't call him Peter. He called him Simon. Simon, why are you sleeping? Now you have to understand that Simon was the name given to him by his father. Because it was the fathers who named the children. But at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus had told him, your name will now be called Peter. Now what does Peter mean? Peter means rock. But here, in this hour of our Lord's desperate need, he doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon. His friend Peter, the rock, instead called Simon. Now there is a dual meaning to the name of Simon. It can either mean one who is listening or it can mean a reed. Both these meanings have a lot of significance as you look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Number one, Simon as one who listens. Jesus absolutely knew that the soldiers were coming. He knew that his hour was at hand. He knew the cross was before him. He's feeling the pressure of it. And he's explaining that to these guys by saying, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Exceedingly sorrowful. And he adds this, even unto death. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, Peter, even unto death. Stay here and watch. Now, we're not told what they were supposed to watch for. But what Jesus was saying to Peter was crystal clear. I asked you to watch, and you're sleeping. Simon, oh, listening one. Why are you not listening to me? The real issue here is that the Lord was trying to deal with something deeper. What he was dealing with at that moment wasn't just, are you listening to my words? He was asking Peter, don't you hear my heart? Peter had heard the words. But like the disciples in general, they were missing his heart. And the church is guilty through the centuries 
all through church history of fighting for the words, but forgetting the Lord's heart. This is just one of the meanings for Simon. Simon, the listener. It also means Simon as a reed. Here is a self-confident man. Someday this man will be a rock. He will be that strength that we believe and read about. But here in the garden, he is anything but a rock. He is a grass-like weed. This wavering reed. In the garden, Jesus says to him, could you not watch for one hour? And then he intensifies it. Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray. We don't know why or what they were supposed to be watching for. But we definitely know why he was charged to pray. And it's this. Lest you enter into temptation. That's what the word of God says. Watch and pray. Pray lest you enter into temptation, Simon. Lest you enter into temptation. Remember, Jesus had already told his disciples, men ought to always pray and not to faint. The implication being this, if we do not pray, we're going to falter. So here he's telling Peter, watch and pray lest you succumb to temptation. The prophetic imagery here is exploding off the page. It's so powerful. Peter, if you had have listened to me, if you had have been watching, if you had have been praying, you could have protected yourself from the coming temptation. You could have protected yourself from the coming onslaught. You could have protected yourself from the coming storm. How do we know that? Because prayer always fortifies the protective element of our soul. Instead, the soldiers come. And Peter, as a reed, is vulnerable. He's vulnerable. He sees the soldiers. He pulls out one of his swords. And, ah, cuts off that ear. Here's Peter trying to be a rock, taking his sword, cutting off the ear. And it's just another indication that Peter wasn't listening. This wasn't the heart of Jesus. And so the heart of Jesus isn't that they fight. So Peter goes from wavering to warring all in the flesh. Jesus wasn't there to fight. All you have to look at is when the guards come. And they say, are you? Are you him? And he says, I am. And they all fall down. Jesus could have called on legions of angels in that moment. Strike them all. He wasn't there to fight. Peter wasn't listening. He was wavering. He was warring. He was functioning in the weakness of the flesh. We're not supposed to function in the weakness of the flesh. We're supposed to walk in the strength of the Holy Spirit. 
If he had been listening to the heart of Jesus, he would never have struck the servant of the high priest. And just watch this contrast. Here's one man wavering and warring, cutting off the ear. And here's Jesus knowing he is going to the cross, picking up the ear, saying, Peter, put that sword back. Let me heal your ear. It's just typical Reed behavior. Peter goes from cutting off his ear to in the next few hours denying Jesus three times. Waffling, wavering. But you know what? I think we're all familiar with this at some point. One moment we're hot, then another moment we're cold. One moment we're all in, and then another minute we want to quit. This is Reed behavior. But you know something? Jesus didn't come to create reeds. He came to create rocks. He turned the name Simon to Peter, and he does the same for us. No longer fear, but faith and power. Listen to the words of Peter himself in his epistle that he writes years later. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 onwards. We are living stones. We're living rocks, being built up as a spiritual house, as a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone. Hallelujah. In a minute, I want us to shift from looking here at Peter to looking at Jesus. But in between, I just want to drop a little nugget just for you to chew on, and it's this. Desperate times need desperate prayers. Let's just say it again. Desperate times need desperate prayers. Can you pray for just one hour? Desperate times require desperate prayers. Now, obviously, when you go to lunch today, you do not need to pray an hour over your meal. Just that's probably not the moment. In fact, something kind of funny happened a few weeks ago at one of our, our lowly Light of Life International uh, prayer meetings. We were at this person's house, and as is the custom for these lowly meetings, everybody brings food. So, you know, you have just an entire kitchen just laid out of all type of foods. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, people come to the prayer meeting just so they can eat. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. And so all this food is laid out. And I've got my girls there with me. I brought Riley, who's, you know, 10, and Anna, she's 5. And... You know, some of the people there, they're just so on fire for Jesus. And they're just interceding and just pouring out before the Lord. And they're just crying. And, and, you know, time doesn't seem to exist there. People just calling on the name of Jesus, asking for breakthrough, revival, souls, miracles. I feel this little tug on the side. I look down and I see that it's Anna. And Anna looks up at me and says, Daddy... Why are all these people praying when we have all this food? <laughs> you know, for her, it was like, we have prayed enough. It's time to eat. I mean, her eyes are on the brownies. Man, 
I mean, I'm going to share that story for the rest of my life when, you know, intercessional conferences, things around, great. But you know what? The garden was one of those desperate times. The Lord came back, not just once, but in his grace, he came back a second time. They're sleeping. He comes back a third time. They're sleeping. The third time he comes back is not to encourage them to pray. It's to move. The, the soldiers are coming. We've got to get with the rest of the disciples. The, our betrayer is at hand. So he gets them up and they move. And this is the point of this nugget. It is a clear reminder, ladies and gentlemen, that the battle is often won or lost before the crisis comes. Let me just say it one more time. It's a clear reminder that the battle is often won or lost before the crisis comes. Most of the disciples who have been sleeping near and around Jesus, now they would abandon Jesus. Peter would now deny Jesus three times. And hear this, the prophetic moment of the ages had arrived and they missed it. They failed to grasp it. Failed to grasp it. Desperate times. We need desperate prayers. The call to watch and pray that rang out in the garden then, it applies today. It applies right now. If you just take a look around. Some, some of the churches around the world today, they are facing horrific persecution. Horrific persecution. Desperate times require desperate prayers. Other places in the world, values are being lost. Ground that was once held is now slipping away. Desperate times require desperate prayers. All of us today, all of us, not Josh's, almost all of us at the picnic, all of us are called to watch and pray. All of us are called to seek the face of Jesus. We pray because we love him, and we pray because he asks us to pray. And now I want to look at Jesus. Hmm. We looked at Simon as the listener, and we looked at Simon as the reed. But now let's take a look at Jesus. You know, if the garden was a test for the disciples, at best you could give them a C minus. But if you were to give a grade to Jesus alone in that garden, it would be the highest of grades because Jesus is magnificent. Now, in fairness to the disciples, this was all part of a prophetic revelation. The word was this, Jesus would tread the winepress alone. There in the Garden of Olives, Jesus is all alone. Praying alone in the garden. Oh, and please catch this. Praying alone in the garden, Jesus cries out, Abba, Father. Having initiated, not initiated, but having said what the relationship was, Abba, Father, he makes this extraordinary request. Abba, Father, 
if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. This is the unspoken cup. Just hours earlier, they had been in the upper room together. Celebrating the cup of remembrance, the cup of blessing. As they looked back and celebrated how God had delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. The exodus. But now, he's alone in the garden. And the cup of wrath is right in front of him. Abba, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But here, as he's talking about this cup, he's looking at the cup that is full of the wrath of God. He's looking at the cup that is full of the stigma of sin. He's looking at the cup that is full of death. He's looking at this dark cup, which is full of brokenness, which is full of lostness, which is full of hopelessness. Looking at that cup, looking at its terror, looking at its pain, looking at its price. He cries out, Abba, Father, if it is possible, let this pass from me. This moment is beyond our comprehension. As he's weighing the cup of trembling, as he's weighing the cup of the wrath of God, as he's weighing the cup of sin and death and horror, as he's weighing the cup of brokenness, lostness, abandonment, as he's weighing that cup, as the sin of the world, my sin, our sin, is being laid upon him. In the most dramatic moment in human history, Jesus chose not to be a reed, he chose to be the rock of ages. Wow. I want you to hear the scriptures again. Abba, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. That's not the end of the verse. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Can you hear the incredible resolution inside of King Jesus? I see the cup of wrath, but nevertheless, I see the cup of sin and its smell and its stigma. Nevertheless, I see the cup of death. Nevertheless, I see the cup of brokenness. I see the cup of torment. I see the cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's why the Hebrew writers could say that this son, who is now the great high priest, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. That's why he's perfect. That's why he's faithful. That's why he's majestic. Jesus, looking at that cup, didn't waver. He drank it in full. He drank that cup, the wrath of God, the wrath of sin. He drank the smelly death, all the torment. He drank it all, which is why Paul cries out and says this. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? 
Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for drinking that cup for me. My sin, my ugliness, my selfishness, my reed-like state, my carnal nature, my fleshly nature. Thank you, King Jesus, for drinking it for me. I want to just close with this, and I'm going to ask Pastor Dan to come up. You can open up the altars or he can close however he wants. But let me leave you with one last thought. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, if you've ever wandered out a little bit to where the garden is, on one side you'll see this beautiful building and there's some gorgeous um, gardening. And, and you can celebrate and read about this very occurrence. But what's interesting is if there's a little road, if you cross over that road, there's another wall there. And if, if you can get permission to go into that private garden on the other side of the road, nobody's ever there. I mean, everybody goes to, you know, the official site. But nobody goes to um, the other side of the road. And if you get in there, it's quiet. It's beautiful. You can just, you can just see the whole thing unfolding before your very eyes. But what's really amazing is you can look through some of the olive trees and you look up to the walls of Jerusalem which are above you and you can see the golden gate. And so you're in the garden looking through these old, old trees, looking up at the golden gate. You realize four days earlier Jesus had marched, had rode rather, into the golden gate. He'd gone right through that entrance into the city. That was when the people were laying down palm branches on the road. That's when the people were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What they were saying was this, save us, O Lord, save us, O Lord, save us, O Lord. And as Jesus is in the garden looking through the trees up to the golden gate, thinking how interesting that four days ago they were crying, save us, O Lord, save us, O Lord. And as I drink this cup, I go to do exactly that. Today, because he drank the cup in full, he wasn't only answering the cries of those people 2,000 years ago who were laying down the palm branches, who were running with him and walking with him and pressing around him as he went through the Golden Gate. He's answering our cry. Save us, O oh Lord. Save us, O oh Lord. Today, I don't know what you came in here with, but maybe your heart is burning right now and saying, save me, oh Lord. You need someone who listens. He is the faithful high priest who listens. You need someone who will not waver, who will not be like a reed blown in the wind. You need a rock, and he is the rock of ages. As you're crying out, save us, oh Lord. You need a savior. He's here to save. He's here to save you from your sin. He's here to save you from your struggles. He's here to save you from your addiction. He's here to save you from the problem. All it takes is one word, and that word 
is Jesus.